Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You know, she's in the movie Heaven's Prisoners. I don't need to say any more. And then... Um, <laughs> Gold Diamonds and Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I am a writer for all things under the CinemaSins brand name, co-host of Behind the Sins podcast, joining me each and every week for this endeavor. He is the co-founder of CinemaSins, co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia. He also loves showering in the street after long motorcycle chases. It's just something. Yeah. I do, but, <laughs> but, but there's a caveat. Michelle Yeoh must <laughs> that's, be present. That's fair. Or Pierce. I mean, you, you, you know, Pierce would be fine too. Oh yeah. No, no. I don't, I don't discriminate <laughs> there. Uh, he's also one of my good friends, Mr. Chris Atkinson. How are you doing on this uh, fine Hello, how's Friday it going? afternoon? Mm-hmm. We've hopefully had some lunch and uh, are ready to dive in. I have not. I don't think I have either. I don't know why I said that because I have not eaten anything. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, this mm-hmm. is going to whet our appetite is what this is going to do. Because uh, this week mm-hmm. we are talking about the second Pierce Brosnan and James Bond, uh, 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh also a Cheryl Crow song, which I totally forgot she did a song for Bond films <laughs> until until I watched mm-hmm. this. And I was like, that sounds like Cheryl Crow. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about this one. I think this is one that I, I don't think I had seen it a second time. I saw it in the theater, and I don't think I've ever watched it again. Maybe I've seen bits and pieces of it. And I've Same. even owned it, like on DVD mm-hmm. and Blu-ray. <laughs> I don't think I've watched it again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I had a VHS. Might have had a VHS. Who knows these days? Um, anyways, we will... Go ahead. I guess let's just uh, jump into things. And we're going to our first segment, which we like to call Eon Flux. This is a journey. I'm going to make a movie. We have to go back, Kate. Wow. How did you know all that stuff? I did my research. I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? We are going to scour through the history of Eon Productions and give you all the highs and lows that went into the making of these films. So, this is the, just some general release information. This is the 18th film in the official franchise. Uh, it is the second, as I already mentioned, to star Mr. Pierce Brosnan. Uh, the film was produced by Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli. Sad note, which we talked about this on the on the Golden Eye, but uh, Albert Broccoli had passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do pay tribute to him in the closing credits, which is nice. Uh, but this is the first film mm-hmm. that he's not involved with in any form. I mean, he wasn't heavily involved in GoldenEye, but he was still there. Uh, but this is the first where he's officially yeah. gone. It's it's Barbara and, and Michael, uh, at, as if they're like my friends or something. You know, Barb and Mike. Um, <laughs> right. And then it's also the last release after the uh, under the United Artists. Be mm-hmm. just straight up MGM, I guess, moving forward. It was released on December 12th, 1997 in the UK after a London premiere on December 9th. And then it was released December 19th in 1997 in the US. One of the busiest Decembers ever. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was going to say, this is a very... This movie did well. Uh, it made $333 million worldwide. 
which was a little less than GoldenEye made worldwide. It did beat GoldenEye domestically by a few million. It made $125 million domestically. Finished 10th uh, domestically. Finished 4th worldwide. This is the one and only Brosnan film that did not finish first in, in its opening weekend. Yeah, and, I wonder why. I mean, I know you know why. I wonder why. Yeah. It's so weird. I don't weird. know. I feel like it's like it hit an iceberg or something. Right? Yeah. Although, I will say this. I don't know what the actual count was on that weekend, but I know that it's not like time titanic like had i don't know if it had some like just hammerlock kind of opening weekend like it didn't like do what we see today did it i don't think it did i don't it it did it did obviously did very well but the the thing with titanic was that it had such long legs it just kept making 20 million every weekend but uh but yes it would it would it would have been obviously a second to titanic that weekend yeah so i I didn't write it down, but uh, I think if I remember correctly, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. It made about twenty-five million mm-hmm. in its opening. Okay, weekend. so Titanic, so was, I think, it made was, like thirty something, maybe. But what's interesting, the Titanic on its first weekend, it made twenty-eight million. Yeah, so it wasn't that was <laughs> which then you would was think, big. Oh, I mean, it was it was big, but it still wasn't even by the nineteen ninety-seven standards. It wasn't even that big because remember no. Lost World earlier in the summer. Uh, oh yeah, Lost World had, like had some huge opening, which you know you look at it now it's like that's puny but it was like 60 Mm. maybe which was unheard of oh maybe bigger i think the weekend yes i think it was labor it was memorial day weekend i think over the entire whatever they count for memorial day holiday i think i want to say it was like 90 it could be i think i think you're right i think it was one of the closest to hit 100 on after a five day or whatever because it it had that record not its total gross but that weekend it had a record there for a while uh, like I, I mean, I think like in the last ten years or something, it was B. But it did actually have that Memorial Day weekend record for a minute. Mm-hmm. You're probably sitting there wondering uh, if you didn't know what was going on in 1997. Why would they come out with a James Bond movie to directly compete against Titanic? I think there's two there's two things going on here. First off, Titanic was supposed to come out in the summer of 1997, mm-hmm. and it got pushed mm-hmm. back. So, and and meanwhile. They started shooting this movie in April of 1997. Uh, They didn't even have Jonathan Price or Michelle Yeoh at the time that they Mm -hmm. started filming this in April. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they had any idea that they were going to... And then the other second part of it is that I don't think anybody thought Titanic was going to be the phenomenon that it was going to be. No, in fact... A lot of people thought it was going to be a bomb. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people were calling it like the next Heaven's Gate or the next Ishtar, sure. like Ishtar on Water, stuff like that. Sure, that was before we just we knew that James Cameron just printed money like nobody else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lost World was ninety two million. Ninety two, yeah, the, that's how, that I remember yeah, that now. Ninety two days though, five yeah, days, yeah, five not days. Three. But uh, but yeah, that was an, an unheard of amount after five days. Uh, Oh, back then. yeah. They and they made over a hundred million in less than ten, and that had never been done before. Mm-hmm. Something like yeah. that. The other thing, I'm sorry to to keep because this it's funny no, when we going. get into I this era. This, this is where I'm actually working in movie yeah. theaters, and I know a lot more about what's going on at the time. Like this was also the second week of Scream Two, which would have been you know mm-hmm. uh, it it Scream Two had a huge opening, but I think it probably dropped pretty heavily after its second week. Um, but I remember this this particular weekend because we sold out of like everything at my, at my old theater mm-hmm. in Franklin. So you had Titanic, Tar- Tomorrow Never Dies, you had Scream 2, and you also had stuff like Goodwill Hunting get finally mm-hmm. making it to uh to As good as it gets. Yeah, as good as it gets. I don't we did, we personally didn't have as good as it gets at our theater. 
but we had that might have been in January one though too. Yeah, but if it if it came out during the holidays in Tennessee, now this is mm-hmm. I, the distri- yeah. distributions these days are still I think skewed towards opening New York, LA first, mm-hmm. and then they still come out, but they come out a lot faster I think because yeah they absolutely because the word about a movie about a, a an Oscar type movie comes up, but as good as it gets, I believe was Christmas Day. I think that was what when it came out, but. Uh, anyway, I just remember this December of 97, and, and I was, the reason why I brought this up is in, in a Recotopia, which will be long, long past after this, but in a Recotopia recently that we just recorded, um, uh, we were talking about this with a mouse hunt was a, was even a movie that was selling yeah. out uh at yeah. our theater and we and it was it was unheard of for movies like this to to sell out uh you know back then but that's how busy that night that december 97 was well and this was back in the day when you couldn't i don't think you could pre-order tickets yet i don't know fandango not, was at really least not much, at our theater, if it couldn't. was it wasn't in tennessee um i do remember though it wasn't too long after that that like I know they had, they started having like credit card, like they had machines in the theaters if you wanted to get the tickets yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so if people drove all the way to the theater and then Titanic was sold out, they were most likely going to go watch something else. And that's how I think a lot of these movies like Mouse Hunt yep. um, and even Scream 2. I mean, I, I think they still, even though they don't make as much money as Titanic, they still become more successful than they probably would have been because of Titanic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the case anymore because now people pre-order and they pick their seats, but uh, that was just an interesting time. Oh, yeah. What I thought was interesting, too, so it made, it was 10th. Uh, it made around $2 million less than my best friend's wedding hmm. of all movies. Which hmm. I forgot that was that huge. Hmm. Uh, it made $13 million more than Face Off. Huh? Face Off was the number 11 hmm. that year. But there was also, there were 16 films that year that made over $100 million. And honestly, um, one of them, the one right after the 16th was, um, where did I write this? Uh, Hercules. Hercules yeah. was the was the 17th film, but it made $99 million. Yeah. It was very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at the previous couple of years. So in 96, there were 15. Mm-hmm. And then in 95, there were 10. In 94, there were 12. So, I mean, we're definitely getting to that point where it's... Because now, it's like, I don't know how many fucking movies make over $100 billion. It's a lot. Yeah, uh, although I don't know then, if it it's weird. as many as you think it is. Um, it, well, not the last few years, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where movies are made... Like, the movies that do make money uh, are... You know, th- there are still a lot that make over $100 million, but they're the ones that... Do, like, it's not like, uh, you know, there's... Yeah, there's not like the uh, uh, some movie that you've never heard of or movie. Well, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of what the best way to say this is. The movies that make the money make a lot more money than they did back Correct. in the day. But like, you don't see very many just happen to run into a hundred million for no reason. That's like true. That are just like that's true. So. I mean, you do get surprised occasionally and look at the uh, look at the list, and you're like, "Really? That made a hundred million?" and and it, and it's kind yeah. of a trumped up a hundred million because it's not, uh, you know, it is inflation that you can really, you know, uh, attribute that to. Well, that in the last couple of years, not that many movies in the theater because like Smile ended up making a hundred yeah. million, but they kept it in the theater for like an insane amount of time mm-hmm. to get to that point. Yeah. So it, it's not like it was raking it in every week. Right. It was just consistently making like five or six million, mm-hmm. and then they kept 
kept it in so long, eventually it got to 100. Yeah. But I still thought that was interesting because that was definitely would have been a surprise. Like back then it was that many movies. Because, I mean, you look at top tens in the 80s and like maybe the first or second would have made 100 million or a couple hundred million. Mm-hmm. But then every like the number 10 might have only made like 30. Yeah. You know, it, just a, just as a, a random like and this is you now we're this is we're talking about post covid. So I'm, I'm going to look at some stuff pre covid. But 2022, mm-hmm. there were 18 movies that made over 100 million. Oh, OK. And the likes of so Bullet Train made 100 million dollars. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, that's that's really strange. But you go to 2019. Let's see how many made it there uh 29 so yeah i mean it's mm-hmm. more than back in the 90s certainly um but yeah it's like it's now it's just there's so many franchise movies that come out and they just make way more money than the average mo- movie yeah so 29 29 in 2019 hustlers was the last one to cross the line wow so i had no idea that made that much money right. i knew it was a hit mm-hmm. but i didn't know it made that much yeah um yeah and i that's like box office is so weird now because now it's like when they say something made or broke a record i'm like i don't care like it's gonna something else is gonna do it in three months they find so. yeah they find other li- like loopholes to make a record yeah. and plus now also the other thing that's uh really like uh dumb about uh, box office records they include that thursday and on the weekend like it's a three day and it's it, yeah they're like oh the thursday counts just as much the thursday is just an extension of friday is all that is and like mm-hmm. no it's not really you know you would i mean it's not like yeah i mean yeah it really bothers me that they include that thursday figure in the, the i don't know why they don't use the thursday as the date i mean that's when these movies open now mm-hmm. i mean a lot of the there's a lot of them that start show has show times at like four yeah yeah, I mean that's a as far as I'm concerned. They were able to get away with it Thursday. back in the day because they used to come yes. out with stuff on midnight, and so it was technically still Friday yeah. when the midnight show happened. Yeah, that's true. But now occasionally it's, you'd get like an eight o'clock yeah. or something. Occasionally, right, like right. Batman Returns. And then you could I think. you could still even go. All right, I can yeah. kind of get along with the eight o'clock or whatever. But now it's like a full day of shows, and they're like, all right, that's part of Friday too. Not why not? Um, I definitely don't pay as much attention to it as i used to no um, me either which is funny because my wife still tells people like yeah he's 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 like i don't know why she she said this a few times she's like he's really interested in like learning about the box office and stuff i'm like i'm not mm-hmm. like what are you talking about? yeah <laughs> but anyways uh other top 10 films that year though what the, the i forgot how much star wars uh a new hope i forgot how much that made the on its special release. edition it was like yeah. over 130 million yeah well it also that special edition that star wars special edition came out in i believe january of 97 and yeah and that's a that's a that's quite a feat to i mean i know it's star yeah. wars but still it's not yeah. it's nobody is in school i mean there everybody's in school everybody's working it's not yeah it's yeah. not a summer release it was uh empire and return didn't do as well no. but I mean, but that but that one definitely did. And then, uh, oh, the other interesting thing was Titanic made a little over six hundred million domestically. Uh, the second place film that year was Men in Black. It made three hundred and fifty million less. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. Still made a lot of money, mm-hmm. but I just thought that was fun. Oh yeah. We already mentioned Lost World. I think Liar Liar and Air Force One were the only two I hadn't mentioned that were on those. Yep. Liar Liar, kind of a surprise top ten. Uh, it, it was. I, I remember it being huge. I just didn't remember it being that big. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was big because that was a. That was a big deal too. I think after like, for for Jim Carrey, it was because the Cable Guy was the year before, mm-hmm. and it didn't make that much money. Yeah, it was the first Jim Carrey uh, to not make a hundred? I think something like that it was one of those. I think that's right. Which is well, well it was after. Did Ace Ventura make the 100 first million? Ace Ventura may have missed it, but everything he had come out with after that oh, yeah. for sure made over a hundred, and yeah. then Cable Guy was like his first guy, like considered bomb. 
Yeah, and I think it still made like sixty yeah, million or something. It didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the cast, obviously, we've got Pierce Brosnan back. Uh, it's his second appearance. Uh, I didn't really read too much about him, like having issues on the set or anything like that. The only one thing I did read in, in an interview with him where he was talking about, like, he liked, he said he was just comparing Martin Campbell to Roger Spotswood because Roger Spotswood directs this movie. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and say that. And Martin Campbell was asked to come back, but he decided to direct The Mark of Zorro, which is funny, too, because Anthony Hopkins was asked to be yep. in. I think he was going to play Carver, right? He was. And then he decided to do Marcus Rhodes. <laughs> well, that that's the uh, thing. Though I from this is from the IMDb trivia and again, yeah. uh sort of a refresher uh, uh the uh, the Blu-ray box set that I have of all these Bond movies that goes all mm-hmm. the way to is it I think it goes all the way to Skyfall. It might go a little bit past. I don't know. My, my, mine Mine goes to Spectre. It may. It. I. I don't think it. I don't think this one goes to Spectre. But I'm. I could be wrong. But either. Yeah. Either way, all the ones that all the Blu-rays up until Goldeneye, uh, just before mm-hmm. Goldeneye, have these behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. things that are thirty-minute oh, yeah, yeah. featurettes, and that you can glean a lot of information from. Now they leave stuff out too, obviously, because they don't want to go completely, you know, air the dirty laundry and things like that. But. But. Ever since Goldeneye, they've stopped doing that. This is so weird. You know, I know more about the behind the scenes of all these other movies. Now the more modern <laughs> things are coming out, and there's no behind the, ones the scenes. We watched in the theater. Yeah, there's, there's no behind the scenes thing. So Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, the only thing that I know is from what I've read on the IMDb trivia, and uh, and so what I understand was from that. And again, I take IMDb trivia a little grain of salt. So this is not like yeah. entirely. I don't know how entirely true this stuff is, but. But um, apparently the shoot on this was not good because it the mm-hmm. they they had to first off they were shooting this in April for a December release date. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not unusual for a James Bond uh, feature, by the no. way. We've seen this a bunch, but apparently with new management, new MGM. Uh, backers and everything they wanted to follow up goldeneye like as quickly as possible and and capitalize on the james bond the newfound james bond success because i don't know you might be are you going to talk because main reason was because they were they were trying to get a they were trying to sell the right they were trying to sell mgm they were trying to sell the yeah as part of it um and uh and so the apparently like what kept happening was they had they were throwing in fresh script pages every day on the set and anthony hopkins was like it left after three days he left after three days on this and then went on to do the mask of zorro um and uh but uh but the mask i said mark it is mask of zorro yeah there is a mark of zorro that came out way back in the day but uh but uh yeah the mask of zorro uh was what he went up to when it went on to do and then they 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 ended up getting jonathan price later i don't know how later or mm-hmm. much later it was but like i said when they started shooting this in april according to the imdb trivia uh they didn't have jonathan price or michelle yo cast at the time so it was apparently yeah, a no, hectic shoot that, that's all correct yeah but as i say Bro- yeah brosnan did say it was rushed and he didn't particularly like that but he said you know it comes with the territory it's part of the job he's like I, what am i gonna do complain that i'm james bond mm-hmm. you know basically yeah. he seems like a really really nice guy yeah Really professional. He did say, and he wasn't knocking Spotswood, but he just said that he really liked Martin Campbell's directing style because Campbell was very organized. He storyboarded like everything to the most minute detail, mm-hmm. whereas Roger was more just like, I think we'll do this today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just really, and I think that's partly why he got the job too, though, because he had worked on hectic sets. He was also good at editing really quickly. Mm. And 
their post production was like fourteen days, or it was like was like uh, was like fourteen weeks or something like that. And which I think on he, they, I don't know if this is accurate, but somebody said in the interviews I was reading, you know, the average like studio film of this magnitude usually gets at least twenty weeks, yeah, if not thirty. So they were basically getting half the time to edit this thing, and they knew that he could do it quickly. So I think that's why he was hired because they needed somebody. I think Martin Campbell on this set would have gone mad, yeah. And because he wanted, he needed the time because they, because he had a lot of time with Goldeneye because I mean, that's six years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, everything you said, I read about too. So that's, that actually is accurate. But yeah, yeah IMDb trivia is interesting. I did, uh, I did get a glean into Spotswood's uh, demeanor when I watched the uh, mm-hmm. deleted, d- deleted and extended scenes on this, mo- on this movie. And uh, he introduces each one on the Blu ray and he's, oh, he's, gotcha. and he's like, he'll sit there and he'll say, well, we wanted to do this. And, and, uh, um, and he's, he's like, when you, he's like, we had to cut this one scene, which means we had to cut this other scene and whatever. And we'll get into some of the, I, there's a couple of cut scenes I want to talk about, but, uh, oh, cool. But, uh, but it's it, it, hearing him talk, he seems like a pretty laid back dude. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, absolutely. That's and what I'm I got. sure, I'm sure he was, just, he was kind of like, don't worry about what's going on here. Let's, I'm sure it looks like <laughs> chaos, yeah. but like, whatever, man. We'll just shoot it, you know? I'll, I'll talk about a little of the cast, but we will get back to Roger's spot. With mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, actually, perfectly like has a decent filmography for the most part. I mean, he's got some. He's got some other good movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Price did play Elliot Carver, as we said. Uh, Jonathan Price, if anybody listening doesn't know the name, he was uh, did a lot of Terry Gilliam stuff early on, like Brazil and yep. Baron Munchausen. He was also in The Age of Innocence. He had done a Vita like right before this. Yep. Uh, I think that was kind of. I think Avita got him a lot, a, a lot of it. Got him probably more attention than he had before that. I mean, I I always kind of knew who he was. I don't know if I knew his name necessarily, mm-hmm. but like I had obviously seen some of his movies before before Avita. And and for me, it was it was he played James Link in Glengarry Glen Ross. That was that was oh, the of course, main thing for me. Uh, I watched that later in life though, yeah, I think, yeah. than you did. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I saw that in '92 or whenever it came out. I think I saw it like late '90s. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. But yes, he's awesome in that movie. Mm-hmm. You feel so bad for him. Yeah, God. I know, I know. Ugh. And Pacino, and like, and that's when you're kind of like, oh yeah, Pacino's kind of scum. Yeah, <laughs> he's oh, yeah. just like he's tremendous oh, scum in that. I mean, you you, yeah. you like him, you like Roma in that movie, but like he's a he's yeah, a he's weird. a scummy it's dude. So weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle, yeah. Oh, we already mentioned Anthony Hopkins uh, was offered the role first. I actually did not even read he was on the set. I didn't even know mm-hmm. he ever got to the set. Yeah. Interestingly enough. But uh, so that's cool. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is it's Waylon, right? Yeah, Waylon. Way Lynn, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was her first Hollywood film. Um, she was the former winner of the Miss Malaysia uh, World Contest, which I actually randomly saw her on the Graham Norton show, like right before Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was telling the story about that that her mom actually entered her into that contest without telling hmm. her, and she did it. Be- she said, "I'll do it as long as you never interfere again." Hmm. And then she won. Wow! <laughs> the thing she didn't even have any fucking interest in doing, she just won. Wow! Which I mean, she's a very talented, very beautiful person. Yeah, so I'm not surprised, but but it was just kind of funny. But uh, Michelle, you know, obviously she was in uh, uh, 2022's um, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which she won her first Oscar for. Before that, though, uh, I i mean, obviously, I saw her in Super Cop. Uh, mm-hmm. That was, I that, think, that what was... most, if you had seen her yeah. before, that's what you saw her yeah. in. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And then, of course, like three years later, though, she's in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, big. And then uh, she's also, but she's done a lot of stuff since then. Crazy Rich Asians was a big thing. Uh, yep. She's very good in that, too. I don't really like that movie very much, but she's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, she is. A, she's excellent. Uh, she's like the 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 evil mother-in-law or whatever. <laughs> yep. Uh, who actually has a heart of gold. Oh, sure. Um, Shang-Chi, uh, Star Trek Discovery, she's was in some episodes of that. Uh, might actually eventually be in her own Star Trek series if they're actually going to make that Section 31 thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have news on that by the time this episode releases. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, the only other person I saw uh, that might have been was Natasha Henstridge was rumored yep. to be in that role, which that like fascinates me on so many levels. Like, I, I don't know if when because this Bond movie really does... So, and Chris obviously knows this. So... Uh, We've got the separation of Hong Kong is going back under the rule of China mm-hmm. uh, right around that maybe already did. I think they already did in 97. But because of that was happening, uh, Hong Kong was going out of the rule of the UK and out of the rule of, Hong- of China. A lot of people came and tried to get work in the States. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you had John Woo came to the States and Jackie Chan. Uh, they started releasing a lot of his films. Uh, Rumble in the Bronx was the previous year. Obviously, Super Cop. Yep. Uh and this film feels like it is a reaction to that. Like this yeah. film uses a lot of, you know, there's a lot more hands-on-hand fighting in this movie mm-hmm. than I think I've ever seen in a Bond. Film. Yeah, which in fact they the apparently the scene in the bi- the bicycle bicycle shop scene. Oh yeah. Um, Michelle Yeoh wanted to do what she'd always done, like in Hong Kong, which was no stunt, <laughs> yeah, no stunt doubles, yeah. and and uh, and apparently the fight was such that they had to hire Jackie Chan's uh, like uh, fighting crew or whatever to yeah to uh, yeah. to do I, that. I don't scene. know what you call it to do that scene. I don't know what you would call it either, but like yeah, that he that whoever whoever his stunt coordinators were, Jack, Jackie mm-hmm. Chan's uh people had to come in and and help out with that scene. And you can't and when you see Michelle Yeoh doing this type of stuff, you realize like she's done like two or three movies with Jackie, at least at three, at least three movies with Jackie Chan mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, she's obviously it's obviously a lot of that is worn off on her and it looks she looks amazing when she's in the when she's fighting oh yeah it's awesome and i but i'm just like i picture natasha hensridge in that role and like it's just oh weird. no yeah yeah it's no, just so no. weird you, like you i wonder to... if her coming in changed how they did some of the action sequences it probably did. i get the sense i get the sense that that scene probably wasn't even in the script probably because if you look at if you look at that scene it comes kind of out of nowhere in mm-hmm. the movie it's almost like they're like well we have michelle yo we should have a michelle yo scene in here and that's yeah. it seems like they just like completely like blocked and and uh, cut that thing like right then and there <laughs> like oh we can do a basic scene in the bicycle shop so <laughs> Uh, Brosnan loved working with her. Uh, and like mm-hmm. you said, she was mad about not being able to do some of her own. I mean, I don't know if she was mad, but she was just kind of irritated. Uh, but right. that, a lot of that has to do with U.S. insurance, too, like the insurance yep. restrictions on these movies. Jackie Chan was kind of irritated, too. Like, he wanted to do mm-hmm. more. Uh, yeah, like Rush Hour and stuff. She yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to do more. Yeah, when he yeah. started doing Shanghai Nights and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Hatcher is in this movie as Paris Carver. At the time, she would probably be mostly known for being on Lois and Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this, though, now I think she's probably mostly known for Desperate Housewives. Uh, Definitely. She's done, she's done several movies. I mean, she was in Tango and Cash. She's great in soap dish uh mm-hmm. have you seen soap dish yep 
there's that scene where, because she plays an actress on a soap opera, there's that scene where Kevin Klein says, I love your eyes, or you have the most beautiful eyes. And then she just says, you should see my tits. And then she just walks away. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like a lot of things revolved around Terry Hatcher's breasts back <laughs> in the day. Like, like you know, he, she has a famous Seinfeld episode. Oh, they're real yeah. and they're spectacular. It was her. Um, I forgot. But then, you know, and then like, uh, you know, she's in the movie Heaven's Prisoners. I don't need to say anymore. And then um, uh, the the uh, the she's in that she's in Two Days in the Valley um, was another oh. movie that I remember her from that has nothing to do with the breast. But I just wanted to come up with the yeah. Two Days in the Valley was another movie that I remember her being in back in the 90s. She's been in she's been in a ton. I wouldn't, oh, she has. She went, wouldn't be surprised if she's got like 70 or 80 credits on the IMDb. She's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, no, she's definitely, she voiced the mother in Coraline. Uh, mm-hmm. She was in Spy Kids. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, she's done a bunch. I, I, I'm I, just guessing she's more known for like Desperate Housewives. It, sure. It, 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 people I mean, think by, about Desperate uh, Housewives anymore. these days, yeah. 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 Um, which I watched every season of, not going to lie. Uh, hmm. so it's interesting too. Oh, so she plays, uh, Paris Carver, uh, which is the, the wife of, uh, Elliot Carver. I couldn't think of his first name in the movie, the Jonathan Price mm-hmm. character. Uh, she's not in the movie for long, but, uh, she has a couple of pretty good scenes and, um, she actually kind of regretted playing the role, not because of anything. It was mostly just because she thought it was kind of forgettable. There just wasn't a whole lot to it. Apparently in the original idea that, uh, which we'll get into the writers, but that one of the writers came up with. Uh, this was going to be someone that Bond like madly was still in love with, and mm-hmm. the later drafts and stuff got farther and farther away from that. And you have that really weird scene where, like, M is telling him to pump her for information, and yeah, like <laughs> this is this is a completely different M, by the way, from oh, the yeah. from Goldeneye. Yeah, Goldeneye, it it's like I don't like you. I, I'm going to put you. I'm going to put you in a situation where you might die, and I don't give a fuck about it. And now it's like, now it's like, ha ha! You have sex with the women, eh? You know? and it's like, it's isn't really that weird. amazing? And and Money Penny's the same way. Of course, Money Penny's always been kind yeah. of a like enabler to Bond, and like, oh, I love the fact that he like bangs all these chicks. One of the things about Terry Hatcher's role in this is that she uh, she also got pregnant during this like she had been married i don't know for a couple years and she got pregnant with her i think first and only child i think uh, that's right i think she was uh, like back two or three months day. pregnant wasn't she? right and yeah. like uh the, apparently she showed up late i this is before pierce brosnan knew she was pregnant and uh and uh they had a like an argument or a row if you will since it's british um and then uh and then uh then he he, he had to apologize cuz he found out that it was because she was yeah he's like oh i'm an asshole <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. and there i mean there there i mean you know the desperate housewives you can look that up i mean there was a lot of uh a lot of commotion on that set too and a lot of it had to do with her so i don't know if she could be someone somewhat difficult to work with i don't know i mean i would think in this type of situation she probably didn't have the leverage though to, to, to really do it so maybe that was irritating too i don't know mm-hmm. uh, yeah but yeah she I, I mean when you look at this role it's like it starts off kind of interesting and then she's just you yeah. know she's just kind of a, exactly i mean just kind of there at, after a while and just like any other woman that you've seen in, in bond's past that get into bond's life and then they yeah. die they kill her and i don't know the way the movie goes i don't know that we needed her to be someone that he's just madly i don't know if that would work either no. but i just but i think when maybe when she took the role it was a little different i, I don't know uh what's it this is if you were concerned out there that the producers and writers and stuff were not still sexist uh here's a story Celia ward was up for the role and they decided hmm. 
that they wanted her. They told her they wanted her, but 10 years younger. <laughs> oh like, my God. Fuck what you. the fuck? I think she's like, I think in The Fugitive, she's like 40 something. Yeah, she, al- she, she always looks younger. Amazing yeah. in that and whatever. I, I don't, I'm, I know. We were just like focusing on people's looks and stuff. I, but it's like Celia Ward's great. I love Celia Ward so much. I think Celia Ward is a good actress. It's just annoying. It's really annoying to hear that. For sure. And yeah, and that's why I mentioned it because basically that's kind of what they were saying. She didn't look young enough. And I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding mm-hmm. me. This is 97 because yeah. the fugitive was what, 93? So yeah, I mean, she's. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I'm not she, and she's, well, I mean, she was on, she was on House and she was like in her 50s and that's she true. still looked I great. forgot she was on yeah. House. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monica Bellucci uh, auditioned for the role and mm-hmm. uh, she was, uh, she just didn't get it. Uh, Brazen apparently said something like, you know, Bellucci was offered, was a Bellucci audition, but the producers were too stupid to cast her or something. The fools turned her down. Fools turned her down. That's what it was. Thank you. Yeah. And then she ends up in Spectre, I think, somewhere. Oh, no. Like later uh, on. It's, yeah, Spectre. Yeah, Spectre. Yeah, it's Spectre. Yeah. Yeah. And she also, but unfortunately, she kind of gets like the same type of role as Paris Carver. It's not a great character by any means. Yeah. It's just kind of nice to see her. Because uh, I like Monica Bellucci a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so next, uh, we've got uh, Gotts Otto. Uh, he played Richard Stamper. He is like maybe, uh, and nothing against the actor. The actor is totally fine. Like he's perfectly good in the role. And dude's been in a ton of movies, mostly German movies, mm-hmm. but he's been in a ton mm-hmm. of movies. Um, but it is like one of the most just generic henchmen. I mean, it's like they they it's like yeah. they just bleached his hair because bleach blonde hair was a thing in the nineties. Like if you were a, yeah. if you were a henchman. It's like Christopher McDonald and um, fucking Terminal Velocity. He's got bleach blonde. Right. I don't know. But anyways, we can talk about him more when we talk about the movie. But uh, our, our opinions. Uh, he was in Schindler's List, uh, which I did not know that. Uh, I don't think he had like a yeah. big role, but he's in it. Uh, he was also According in a heart-to-heart to heart TV the, uh, movie I did what? not know existed, and now I'm going to have to go find. So, what what movie? A heart-to-heart heart TV movie. is like a, Oh, really? Yeah, I guess they just made like a heart-to-heart heart movie in 1996. And maybe I did see okay. it. I just don't remember. But I loved that show. Apparently, and this is also according to the IMDb trivia, it said when he was called in for casting, uh, he was no, given twenty seconds. He was given twenty seconds to introduce himself, and he simply said, "I'm big, I'm bad, I'm bald, I'm German." <laughs> Five seconds, keep the rest. <laughs> no, I I read that in like two or three different things, so I've, I I mm-hmm. believe that is true. Totally mm-hmm. forgot Ricky Jay was in this movie. Uh, might oh not have, yeah, that- might not have really known who he was at the time though either. I don't think I did, uh, but he, this was a big year for Ricky J because yeah, yeah, yeah. he was in Bo- Boogie Nights and he was in The Spanish mm-hmm. Prisoner uh, also in the same year. It's funny, Ricky J, I know Ricky J enough now that like at the very beginning when everything's like cutting around and there's all these people and they're mm-hmm. like focusing on with the camera. I was just like, kind of just like humorously to myself. Is that Ricky Jay? Because I, it, it, I mean, it looked. I mean, it's, it's in, he's unmistakable, and uh, and sure enough, before I even knew that was really him, he's on the opening credits. You know, yeah. you know. So I was like, oh, nice. I forgot that he was in this. This is one of the most interesting casts I think of any Bond film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about Vincent Giovelli in a second, but it, it's a wild yep. cast. Um, <laughs> But Ricky Jay also, uh, before he got into acting, he was a really well-known magician, especially amongst like I guess other magicians and celebrities and stuff. He would, uh, he's apparently one mm-hmm. of the best. He's always been talked about as one of the best sleight of hand. There was this trick I read about where 
it was uh, like a, it was just like a, somebody looked at a card. They didn't know what it was. I mean, they looked at a card. He didn't know what they were doing. He asked them to put it back in. He cut the deck or whatever. And they had, have you heard about this? And there were like two stacks no. of cards. And then he said, what was your card? And he said, what was the card you were thinking of or something like that? He said, three of clubs. So he turns over one. And then this other guy in the audience that wasn't involved in the trick was like, Ricky, I thought of a card too. And he's like, well, you're, I mean, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I thought of a card too. He's like, well, tell me what it is. And he's like, King of Hearts or whatever. And then Ricky J turns over the card on the other side and it's whatever that guy said. So God. I need to, I'm going <laughs> to, I just read about it. I want to try to find like footage of him doing something similar to that. Cause that's gotta be amazing. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah, so, uh, he's been in a ton of, ton of Mammoth and, uh, Mammoth, uh, 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 Paul Thomas Anderson cast him in a few things. Uh, he's also in The Prestige. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was in Spanish Prisoner, Boogie yep. Nights. He was in House of Games, which was Mammoth's first directorial film. Uh, State in mm -hmm. Maine. I don't know that I remember him in State in Maine, but I haven't seen that in a while. I love him Trying in Heist. I remember when he was he's in He's amazing in Heist. Yeah, Heist is uh, great. This is a, it's a great day for a race. What kind of race? The <laughs> human yeah, race. He has a, he's very good with mm. Mammoth's, uh, like Mammoth's language and stuff. He's, mm uh magnolia mm -hmm. though he's just like in like the like the opening thing right yeah he's just a he's just like a uh, he's like a director uh, uh he's a he's a multi-cam director that's right uh so he's just like cut to the card <laughs> cut to the fucking card that's, that's all the thing i remember that ricky uh, j says his character's movie, name is but... henry gupta he is one of uh carver's uh he's like carver's like brains i guess he's like always doing stuff on computers and stuff and was supposed to be of course an indian uh actor uh yes. yeah. when uh because they yeah. named him henry gupta and i guess they just didn't need to change the name yeah. once they put ricky j in there i don't <laughs> yeah, they understand just that made him but... like any like henry smith whatever yeah, yeah bob uh, smith he sadly yeah. died though in 2018 uh I, I didn't i didn't write his age down mm -hmm. he was not he was not very old i mean he was like in his 50s or early 60s at the no. uh no. so anyways uh joe don baker's back from uh he has he's like one scene but uh mm -hmm. his uh jack wade character right back. i kind of wish they had kept him i don't think he's in the next two is he i don't think he is i don't think he is but i did like him in this mm -hmm. for some reason there was just something funny about him uh, coming in and they're you know uh, what's the what's the ship uh, at the beginning that they that they're on the um is it the um, the it's the is it the devonshire the devonshire yes and they're and uh and they go on to that american base or whatever and and they're talking about that thing that messes up gps and and uh the the american guy is like uh, so what you maybe you can we can uh, you know what if we lost a ship or something yeah. you mean like the devonshire and then joe don baker's like hey nobody <laughs> yeah, said so anything funny. about the devonshire <laughs> he's wearing like a hawaiian shirt i know he's great man yeah i uh I, yeah. that's funny because i remember thinking i didn't really like him that much in those movies but now that we've rewatched them both i'm like what the fuck was i thinking like he's kind of awesome uh vincent Sch schiavelli we just mentioned who also sadly has passed away he passed mm -hmm. away in 2005 actually he was only 57 yeah he had some really bad uh it was i don't can't remember what it was it was a bad illness he's one of those guys you might not know the name but if you see him he's i mean it's impossible not to recognize him uh, he's like this really tall guy he's got mm -hmm. like a I don't mean this mean, but he's got like a really long face, and he's the guy, and he's the guy Patrick Swayze runs into in Ghost, uh, on, yeah, on the he, subway Fast train. Times from Ridgemont High was probably the he's a, a teacher, or whatever. Yep. In that, uh, he's in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's in mm -hmm. uh, Batman Returns, People yep. versus Larry Flint. He's in a bunch of stuff, uh, but he plays Doctor Kaufman in uh, probably. It's a weird scene because, <laughs> like, tonally, I don't think yeah. it fits. 
Mm-hmm. But I love that scene. So it's kind of, it's one of those things. Yeah, me too. Judy Dench is back. This is her second appearance as him, as Chris has already said. She seems a little different. She seems to be really, she seems a lot more comfortable in the role for sure. Like she seems to be, mm. I don't know, mm-hmm. having a little more fun. We're going to, we're going to be talking about her for quite a few movies though. Cause she's in the Daniel Craig ones for a minute too. Yep. Uh, Samantha Bond is back with her second appearance as Moneypenny. Desmond Llewellyn is back. His 17th and uh, next to last. Uh, appearance as Q, which is really mm-hmm. sad. We do get uh, Colin Salmon uh, joins the cast. Uh, he's kind of, he's Charles Robinson. He's kind of Elm's, uh, I guess, right-hand man or whatever. Uh, I like Colin Salmon. He just looks like, mm-hmm. he's just like so fucking cool yeah. looking. Like there's something about him. Like like he looks like he's like yeah, really he like just like a professor or something. Like I feel like every time you have like a professor, just make it Colin yeah, Salmon. Yeah, yeah. Got a great voice. Oh, Yo, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm always happy to see him. Uh, but yeah, he was in Resident Evil, uh, Punisher Warzone, Alien vs. <laughs> yep. Predator. Uh, the Magnificent London Has Fallen. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Palmer plays Admiral Roebuck. Uh, he's kind of uh, like just like a, I don't know. He's a, he's an admiral that's just like always trying to get them to let him blow everything up instead of, yeah. <laughs> instead of them yeah. investigating <laughs> Yeah, he's like, in the beginning scene, he's just like, he's like, all right, we got the information we need. Let's start yeah. bombing these motherfuckers, <laughs> yeah, you know? It's like so quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, he he would fit in America. Probably going to have to cut that Yes, out. he would. Uh, <laughs> uh, he died in 2020. All these people died. Yeah, he did make mm-hmm. it to 93, so that's a that's a pretty damn good life right there. Uh, his oh, yeah. son is uh, Charles Palmer, which maybe if there's any uh, fans of British shows or British people listening, he's a pretty well-known. A UK television director. He's worked on Doctor mm-hmm. Who, uh, Agatha Christie's Marple, stuff like that. So I've seen his name pop up a bunch and some of the stuff mm-hmm. I've watched. Uh, Jeffrey Palmer was in, he's done a ton of television like in, in the UK, but he was also in A Fish Called Wanda, uh, Madness of King George, Mrs. Brown, which Judy Dench is also in. Mm-hmm. And of course, he was in the, I, I actually haven't seen this movie, so I don't have a joke for it, but The Pink Panther 2, <laughs> which was the Steve Martin mm. Mm, yeah. Have you seen either one I don't, of those? I think I saw the first one. I don't. Know, I don't think, I, think I, I saw seen, the second one. I don't think I've seen either one of them. I know in one of them, Jason Statham's the bad guy. So it's kind of yeah. interest, made me a little interested. Mm-hmm. And I like Steve Martin, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, I did not catch him, and I meant to go back and try to find him. But Gerard Butler. Uh, I did. Up. I did go back yeah. to find him, and uh, he's in a blink and you'll miss it part because the Devonshire is. Um, is about to sink, I believe. The drill has gone through the, the, the ship and it's gone up and and uh, they're trying to figure out, I think they're about to uh, they're about to uh, give their coordinates out or whatever. And he's just he's sitting there and he turns around and has like one line and then that's it. He's oh, a he very a young a very young Gerard Butler oh, wow. in this one. Like no so. facial hair and Oh, man. No, no facial hair or anything. So I'll have to check that out. Uh, and then also on the another ship, the HMS Bedford, uh, Hugh Bonneville uh, from uh, I guess now mostly known for Downton Abbey, but he's been in a ton mm-hmm. of stuff. Yep. Uh, he yep. he he's a crewman on the HMS Bedford. Uh, so yeah, that's that's it for the cast. So MGM, we've kind of we kind of mentioned this. MGM needed this movie to come out as fast as possible. I mean, a they probably just wanted to capitalize on the popularity of Goldeneye. But the other thing was with Goldeneye, this was the first Bond film where they had a lot of success outside of the movie. Uh, they repackaged because uh, this was when DVDs were huge. 
mm-hmm. we might have even started started having Blu-rays in '97. I can't remember. I got mine like in '98, so we probably did. Hmm. But Bond, and I don't, but I don't know when the Bond Blu-rays came out. That might have been later, anyways. But DVDs, they repackaged all the all the movies, and mm-hmm. uh, so they had that revenue too. And then also they had the GoldenEye video game. Uh, mm-hmm. which anybody that was, even as me, not a gamer, like I know that game. Uh, mm-hmm. I think anyone in the 90s, you know, would, would know that game. And yeah, was, I, I, I'm, I'm just looking at this because I, I, Blu-ray apparently got developed in 2005 and released Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Blu-ray. I just meant, no, I was just talking about D. I was actually, no, what I was trying to say was yeah, D. DVDs I didn't know DVDs. Had been, DVDs definitely were a big okay. part in the 90s, yes. That's what I meant. Uh, mm-hmm. I just said it weird. I was thinking VHS and DVD, and I said DVD and Blu-ray. So let me mm-hmm. start. So yes. So they started having these revenues outside of it. They repackaged all the films on DVD. Probably did on VHS too. I didn't. I didn't look, but uh, mm-hmm. those were selling well. They had a video game, uh, which video games then did not sell the way they do now. But for mm-hmm. that time period, that was a really popular game. It sold very well. And this was that Goldeneye game. Yeah, for the Nintendo sixty four, yeah. right? I think. Yeah, was what... yeah, the Goldeneye game, which is this is one, you know, this is I, I, I guess I, um, I missed out on that one because that was one that a lot of people I know who are late, like slightly younger than me. Yeah, that was right in their wheelhouse mm-hmm. of when they started playing games, and Goldeneye, Goldeneye was a huge one for them. So yeah. I don't know if I've ever played it. I just knew what it was because I just heard people talk about it. And yeah, uh, but because of that, also MGM is trying to sell off their a lot of their stuff because they're not doing mm. well financially outside of the Bond films. They weren't really doing much of anything at that time. Yeah, well, uh, we already mentioned Martin Campbell was offered to come back after directing Goldeneye, but he decided to direct uh, The Mask of Zorro. Uh, so they brought in Roger Spotswood. I already mentioned this. I'll mention it again though. Uh, a lot of the reason they like Spotswood is because he was very much a he was he he worked quickly, and um, he edited like mainly with the editing because they and they did it was fourteen weeks of post production. Uh, the average studio film at the time usually had at least thirty, if not forty. Uh, the 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 guild only mandated ten though, which I thought was interesting because like I'm surprised mm. that anybody was allowed to do like thirty or forty. They did pretty much have a blank check on this movie, though. MGM was like, whatever you got to do. We just want this to be bigger, better, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, they did make money, but because this was, I should have mentioned this, we're talking about the budget. Because the budget for this, like, it made a few more million dollars stateside than GoldenEye. But the budget was $50 million more. Uh, GoldenEye mm-hmm. was like $60 million. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies was 110 Tomorrow, Which seems like a really high budget for that time period. But probably because of Titanic, nobody talked about it because everybody was just focused on like that Titanic budget. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Roger Spotswood. Uh, this is his first and only Bond film. Uh, he he directed a uh, his first film is a early '80s slasher film that I really enjoy called Terror Train. Uh, mm. And then uh, he also did a really cool movie from the late 80s called Shoot to Kill. It was City Poitier. It was like his first movie back since like mm. the 70s. Mm. Uh, he also did Stop and My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> yep. Uh, the Sixth Day, which is an okay later Schwarzenegger film. Yeah. From what I remember, I haven't seen it probably in 15 years. Uh, he also did Ripley Underground, which is uh, it's not a sequel necessarily to The Talented Mr. Ripley, but it is based on one of the books in the series. Uh, Barry Pepper mm-hmm. plays... Ripley in that it's it's actually quite good. Uh, it's not as good mm-hmm. as the talented Mr. Ripley, but it's it's quite good. He also collaborated on the forty eight hour script with Walter Hill, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, initial writers: uh, John Court, Richard Smith, 
and novelist Donald E. Westlake uh, were brought on. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, Westlake was... Uh, uh, he's he's written the Dortm- the Dortmunder series, which had been adapted into a few movies, The Hot Rock with Robert Redford. Uh, what What's the worst that could happen with, with Martin Short yeah. and Danny DeVito? Yeah. Never seen that, but that's based on one of them. Uh, he also Lawrence, wrote the right? Richard Martin he, Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. What did I say? Martin Short. Oh yeah, those are two very mm. different. God, now I want to mm-hmm. see it with Martin Short. Yeah, uh, Martin Lawrence. Yes, um, probably the only person ever to mix those names up. And Donald E. Westlake also he wrote under a pen name Richard Stark, and he wrote all the the Parker novels, which uh, you know Payback, the Mel Gibson movie, is based on one of those. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Statham movie Parker is based on one of those. Yep. Uh, there was a movie from the 60s with, um, all of a sudden, I can't remember his name, but it was called Point Blank. Lee Marvin, uh, Point Blank, yeah. is also based mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he was a pretty well-known novelist, and he had written, he also wrote the screenplay for The Grifters, which he had been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, so he came in and did some writing. Uh, he wrote two different treatments that revolved around a villain who was going to destroy Hong Kong on the eve of Hong Kong being handed back to, the, to China, which is what we were talking about earlier. Uh, they mm-hmm. felt, at the end of the day, though, they felt that would already be dated by the time they released it, which it would have been. Uh, mm-hmm. So they decided not to go that route. Uh, Bruce uh, Fierstein, uh, he was one of the Fierstein? writers on, huh? Fierstein? Maybe Fierstein? Yeah, I guess so. It's F I E R though, which is weird. But yeah, it'd be it's still Fierstein. F E I R. Sorry, yeah, Fierstein. Uh, he wrote the initial script. Uh, he was inspired by his experiences working uh, as a journalist during the Gulf War, uh, which mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense when you see how the movie turned out. Uh, mm-hmm. Spotswood then brings in like a few writers. They kind of do like almost like a TV writers room thing where they start because they're just trying mm. to get this thing written really quickly. Uh, those included uh, Nicholas Meyer, who wrote Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, directed it to uh, Dan Petrie Jr., uh, Kurt Wemmer, who is the guy that directed uh, Equilibrium, I believe. Yep. yep. Uh, Leslie Dixon and David Campbell Wilson. They were all brought on. Uh, but Firestein did come back to do the final polish, and he actually has the sole credit uh, mm. on 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 the script. So I guess he had the most to do with it. Uh, Carver gets compared a lot to Rupert Murdoch, but Firestein actually said he wrote the character to be like Robert Maxwell, who was like this uh, this tycoon uh, who uh, died in 1991. Uh, his body mm-hmm. was discovered floating in the Atlantic Ocean, presumed to have fallen overboard on his yacht, which is similar to the the uh the headline that elm wants them to put out there yep yep uh, which i didn't know that until now i always thought this was just supposed to be rupert murdoch because that's what they always mm-hmm. said that that's what everybody said when it came out yeah although i'm not sure how big fox news was back in this period of time like, i don't know but i and maybe well, i'm maybe i'm remembering wrong maybe people have said I that I mean, later it, i mean that's what was going through my head yeah. when i watched this and maybe fox news had become pretty big i know that there they came in in the 90s so i mean it's 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 probable that they had they yeah. had become pretty big by the time this movie came out and the 20 because the 24-hour news type thing that started around the gulf war right wasn't that cnn kind of yeah yeah that uh, was you know people on the ground you know saying there oh some sort of attack underway and we had never seen anything yeah. like that live yeah. before so uh, um, yeah la- well see now fox news was launched october 7th 1996 hmm. so it would be interesting that they i mean i'm sure there are a number of other uh who knows maybe they had that in maybe as soon as this 
Fox News was launched. I mean, this is technically, they started filming this in April after it had launched. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe they knew something about Murdoch before maybe. that they kind of implemented in this. I don't know. We already mentioned the script was not finished when they started shooting. Uh, so that was kind of a hectic thing. Uh, the title of the film uh, was inspired by the Beatles song, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, the name of the newspaper in the movie, which I did not remember, is Tomorrow, which mm-hmm. is a stupid name, by the way. Well, it's it's sort of like clues you in to the fact that he's writing them before the events happen. And <laughs> another, that. yeah, that's true. On his on his pad, where he's doing the one hand, mm-hmm, yeah. very quick typer that that Carver. Uh, another potential title was "Tomorrow Never Lies." Yep. So the rumor, uh, what I heard, I read this in a couple of places, so I assume this is true that they faxed a bunch of stuff over to MGM, and there was a typo, and so it said "Tomorrow Never Dies." MGM decided they liked that better. So that's mm-hmm. why it's called that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the first title to not have any affiliation with Ian Fleming. It has, because Goldeneye was not based on a book, but it was the name of his house. Uh, mm-hmm. Tomorrow Never Dies has no, there's nothing that Fleming did. They did write a novel, though, after this. Another author wrote a novelization. As far as filming, they weren't able to use Leviston Studios because some jackass was filming Phantom Menace. Uh, oh, shit. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, George Lucas, not Jackass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so they built some sound stages in an industrial site nearby. They did use Pinewood, though, uh, but they also shot in France, Thailand, Germany, and Mexico. Uh, they also ended up using that tank that was built for Titanic in California. They actually mm-hmm. used that for some stuff. Yep. Uh, they were they were going to shoot in Ho Chi Minh City, and they were initially given permission to do it. They would have been the first film, major film, to shoot there since the Vietnam War. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was later rescinded. The permission was later rescinded by the prime minister. They had some issues with some of the subject matter, and I don't. It was stuff. I don't. It didn't really make yeah. a lot of sense. But he just he decided he wasn't a fan. So that's what they had to go figure out somewhere else to go. Yeah, they ended up going to Thailand, and I think they. Yeah. Um, they ended up shooting around where they shot uh, the man with the golden gun. That that was okay. it was it was at least close to where they shot man with the golden gun in certain locations. Uh, Spotswood wanted to have some different action for this one than he did for Goldeneye. Than they had on Goldeneye. They had that tank scene in Goldeneye, and since he knew he couldn't really go bigger than that as far as a vehicle, he decided he came up with the idea for the motorcycle uh, chase. Mm-hmm. And then they had also the remote-controlled car. Um, yep. And so to achieve that effect, they actually had a backseat driver. They had somebody, they put the steering wheel in the backseat. Or they put a steering wheel in the mm. backseat. Uh, I still mm. don't know how you do that. but. And the uh, apparently the motorcycle scene, too, uh, Spotswood went to, uh, to uh, Michelle Yeoh and told her, don't let Pierce, Bros- don't let Pierce take, the, take the wheel of the motorcycle don't let him take the don't let him take the don't let him make have control of it and then he went to pierce brosnan and said don't let michelle take control of the motorcycle so then when they got to the motorcycle they were both like fighting <laughs> over who was going to do to be uh on it and driving it so they left that in we're like who's supposed to be driving this thing or whatever <laughs> yeah that's right that, that was i did read about that i should have wrote that down i didn't put it in there mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought it up um Took three weeks to film the car chase. I did not know how much time it took to film the motorcycle chase, but it said it took them three weeks to do that car chase, which seems crazy because that's like, yeah. especially because they didn't have that much time. I'm, I, I don't know how this movie got made. <laughs> and the, 
Yeah, well, and it took them 10 days to do that whole parking garage yeah. scene, too, yeah, apparently. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a stunt involving setting fire to a few vehicles, and there was more smoke produced than they had anticipated, and the fire brigade got called in. Uh, no mm-hmm. one got hurt mm-hmm. though. There was no, there was people didn't lose their feet or anything like that on this on this movie. But uh, that did happen. Uh, this was the first appearance of the Walther uh, P99, uh, which it replaced yep. the Walther PPK. Uh, Daniel Craig will the Daniel Craig films will revert back to that uh, when when we get to Quantum of Solace, mm-hmm. but. I don't know. I feel really weird talking about guns right now, by the way. So yeah, I remember mm-hmm. talking about like, like somebody like that being something somebody would be interested in. There's, and there's nothing wrong with being interested mm-hmm. in a gun in a movie. I'm not saying that. I just feel really weird talking mm-hmm. about guns right now. Um, another issue with the rush production was they were having to shoot in several locations, not near each other, which we've already talked about. And also they had to shoot a bunch in water. So it's, it's, it's kind of insane that this movie got made at, at least, at least in mm-hmm. when it got made and the amount of, they got it done in the time they wanted to. Uh, yeah. I feel like this, I'm surprised this one wasn't delayed. Did you have anything else on any of the scenes or anything on the act? There were a couple things that I ran across the, uh, apparently but we were talking about Ricky J mm-hmm. uh, being a great magi- magician. He was also uh, somebody who was really skilled at, at throwing cards yeah. and like slicing stuff and throwing them hard, you know, like uh like had records and like had the speed of his yeah, card. Yeah, he was in the throwing. Guinness Book of World Records, right? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Uh and they wanted to do a scene where he's throwing cards at Pierce Brosnan and he says, That's probably not a good idea. And apparently they got it to they got him to do it once and he hit Pierce Brosnan like right between the eyes with a card. <laughs> And they didn't, apparently they didn't keep that footage or anything, but they, they also shot, uh, scenes of him practicing quote Mm -hmm. unquote in, in one of the scenes where he's in one of those back rooms and he's throwing cards everywhere and like cutting glasses and all sorts of stuff with it. And then later on in the scene where they capture uh, bond and they capture way Lynn, uh, and they have them in handcuffs coming into that one room and, and they shows the the method of torture and all that. Like everybody's got seven chakras or whatever, all that. During that scene, Ricky Jay would be throwing cards at uh at Bond and they cut that scene out. They had to cut oh, it man. out because because they cut out the earlier scene with him yeah. practicing. So if they cut out that scene, they had to cut out the other part where he's throwing. Because because where would that that would have just come out of nowhere? But it was it's such a Bondian thing to have somebody have a weapon that's not typical, uh, you know. So I, I it's it's kind of a loss. Like I sit there a lot of times and I think I understand you're cutting things for for length, but like to show him practicing that and to put that one small scene in there would have been a total of mm-hmm. a minute if if in if that so i'm i wonder sometimes if they cut something early and then they're like well we got to make more cuts and they cut something they cut all this other stuff out and then they forget that oh that's other thing that we <laughs> cut could be really cool if we kept it in I don't know how that works. I, I don't know how that. they because they actually got this under two hours, which was the first time they had done that since Diamonds yeah. Are Forever. So there must have been an edict somewhere saying let's try to keep this down. And they finally realized that 
you know, more showtime. Yeah, that was a big deal money, back so. then. I guess it's not anymore because every fucking movie is two hours and no. forty minutes. Well, and and you can you can put so many movies in one. That's true. In, like in in multiple auditoriums yeah. now that it's just it's just so yeah, easy no, that, to do that. That used so. to be a huge deal. I remember that with with showtimes. That's why another reason why they thought Titanic wasn't going to do well, and that's probably why Titanic did. It was like a slow roll. Mm-hmm. We had we had at our theater we only had three shows a day of Titanic. Yeah. Well, that's like when Endgame came out, and they had that. It was like what? It's like over three hours, I think. Like it's like three and a half. It's I don't know. It's got a crazy length, and I remember people talking mm-hmm. about it was going to break all yeah. these records, and I'm like, I don't know if they could show it enough to break. But then I didn't realize that every theater would only show Endgame, like, and then have one other movie at their theater. Yeah, if it if Endgame had come out in 1995, then yes, the three hour length would have hurt it. Yeah, but no more. It's not a big deal. Uh, nope. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that though. It's funny though. That's the whole like that's mm-hmm. the whole Gambit thing in the X Men comics, and like that's been a big deal. Like you know, Channing mm-hmm. Tatum tried to make that Gambit movie for the longest time, and all these people are like huge fans of Gambit, but like all he really does is throw cards. I've never really understood why people are that excited about him. He's not a bad character, mm-hmm. but like, <laughs> it's like, I don't, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the Boba Fett thing. I just, sometimes I just don't get it. Like where, where is this coming from? And I want to, I want, I, I may not have made this clear by the way. I've seen the, I've saw the two deleted scenes with yeah. Ricky J. They don't show the Pierce Brosnan thing getting hit in between mm-hmm. the eyes, but they do show him, doing the practicing and and the in the middle of that uh scene where brosnan and, and yo are, are are escaping he has a scene where he's throwing yeah. cards at at, uh, at at people and it's like lodging in their skin and, well, and it's like a nice it's like a nice homage too to like maybe odd job or whatever right i mean it, yeah. it, feel, it feels very bond very like, odd jobby and it feels like and that makes him a lot more interesting than the than the blonde guy you know who just, mm-hmm. who's just a blonde guy and that's all he is yeah <laughs> he's a he's a he, yeah he's big he's bad he's German that's right mm-hmm. uh, music so John Barry was actually in talks to return uh, but they wouldn't pay him enough basically it was, it was salary it was some kind of salary dispute I don't know what the issue was specifically mm-hmm. but he recommended David Arnold who ends up scoring mm-hmm. the film well and he also I guess felt um, he felt like uh, he was annoyed that he was going to have to be tied to doing the Cheryl Crow song. Mm-hmm. Um, that for, you know that was a, that was a big hang up for him, and also the guy he recommended that who did you say his name was? It's uh, it's David Arnold. David Arnold uh, also felt that way about having like yeah, you have to you have to you know look over this song that they're making for, and the, when they, for the movie. When they originally hired him, uh, Arnold, um, he was actually writing the theme song too, and. Uh, he did write a sample. He wrote something because somebody who did, uh, he wrote it with Don black and the vocals were done by this guy named David McAlmont. And then MGM mm-hmm. was like, no, we want to, we want like a bigger name, uh, a name people know. And mm-hmm. then, so they had submissions, uh, uh, this group called Swan Lee, who I'd never heard of until now, uh, mm-hmm. pulp, which was a kind of a nineties alternative pulp. group, uh, mm-hmm. saints, a teen, I don't know how to pronounce that. It's E T I E N N E. Uh, ATN? Yes. ATN, yes. And then Mark Allman, who was the, I think he was the lead singer of Soft Cell, uh, you know, Tainted mm-hmm. Love. Yeah. And, uh, and then Cheryl Crow. And then Cheryl Crow obviously was picked. And, um, yeah. And then the Cheryl Crow song is, um, is Tomorrow Never Dies. 
Uh, the composition Arnold wrote, though, was performed by Katie Lang. It was called Surrender, mm. and that's over Surrender, the closing yeah. credits. Uh, it's the fourth Bond film to have different an opening and closing song. Interestingly, the music for the indoor car chase was co-written by this group called the Propeller Heads. And I remember I, them. Well, yeah, they were known for that song, uh, his, History Repeating. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Shirley Bassey was the vocalist on that. I didn't remember that for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, I forgot and, about that. Yeah. And then if you do want to hear these other versions, these other some of these other songs that were written, um, Pulp retitled theirs Tomorrow Never Lies. It was released as a B side on a nineteen ninety seven single called Help the Aged. I'm sure you mm. can just find it on Amazon Music or something though. Um, yeah. and then I guess I guess they were the only one that did that then. Never mind. But uh but then you also had the Katie Lang song got got eventually did. Uh, Moby uh, created a remake of the James Bond thing. I remember this when it came out. I'd forgotten about it, but I, now I'm like, oh yes. And I gotta be honest, uh, going back to Arnold, because we 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 talked obviously about how bad the Goldeneye score was. I guess this one's better, but I gotta be honest, like I don't even remember it. Like it's, and I just watched this movie like last night. And I, can't. I, I I watched this movie just before we started recording, and I couldn't tell you anything. So I guess about it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like memorable. By any means. Yeah. And the Moby James Bond theme's okay. It's, I don't know, it's kind of silly. But uh, Cheryl Crow's song was nominated for a Golden Globe and a Grammy Award. Uh, she did not win either. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll talk about that song later. Um, critical reaction, uh, currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 57% from 93 critics. Average rating is 6.1 out of 10. And it's 53% from audiences, 3.5 out of 5. So very mixed. Uh, mm-hmm. It still is, for the most part, even like more modern takes on it. It's still like a very, it's a, it's a, not divisive, but it's definitely yeah. mixed. Uh, at the time, Roger Ebert gave it a positive review. He said, Tomorrow Never Dies gets the job done, sometimes excitingly, often with style, with the villain slightly more contemporary and plausible than usual. I have things to say about that. But anyways, um, mm-hmm. and then he said it also brought some subtler than usual satire to the film. Uh, Gene yeah. Siskel said it was the first James Bond film he had enjoyed in many a year, hmm. but hmm. I don't know. Uh, he loved the Elliot Carver character. Uh, Janet Maslin called it a generic action event and said the hero was con- chronically overdressed. I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Janet. Um, yes. The film received four nominations at the Saturn Awards. Uh, Brosnan actually hmm. won for Best Actor. They did not win hmm. the other three, though. Uh Retrospective reviews, like I said, are kind of a mixed bag. Most people nowadays talk about how Carver's plan would be so easily averted because of like the internet. Like this is like right mm-hmm. around when, like this was like basically like the last year, probably that something like this. Could yeah, happen. which is funny because yeah. uh, also in a Recotopia that's like you know twenty weeks away from this recording, the <laughs> well, when it finally comes out. Yeah. We were talking about Wag the Dog and how, yeah. and that came out in, uh, did that come out in 97 or did it come out yeah, in 98? Yeah, I mean, I think we probably watched it like early 98, but yeah, it was a 97 Yeah, movie. but like, that's another one that was ta- mm-hmm. that has been talked about that way. It's funny, like, how those movie plots didn't give a second thought about that being an issue, and now we look back on it and it's like, ha ha, there's no way, but yeah, that's how, we were, we, internet wasn't as badass as it yeah. is now, you know? That's true. I mean, I I don't know. I I think I think some of this could work. Like I I don't know that it's completely improbable just because of how easily some people are swayed a certain I way. I mean, but, yeah, exactly. But I just I think 
creating a war though would be a little difficult. I would well, think. yeah, but in 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 with James Bond logic here, you're talking about a a stealth boat, you mm-hmm. know, and you know all these different gadgets where it's like. I don't, I don't know if, I mean, we're, we'll talk about the story here in a minute, but like, I don't know how he lucked out on the fact that there were Chinese MIGs flying around mm-hmm. the area when the, when the, um, God, the ship again, uh, the Devonshire, <laughs> the Devonshire is, is, uh, is also out in the, out in the South Chinese China sea at this yeah. point. Like, how does he luck into that? Unless maybe he, he, he tells the China and tells China maybe. that there's a boat out there. I don't know, but that's, that's one thing he has to have. If, if yes. he's going to get, he's going to pull this off is that Chinese MIGs have to be flying around. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think orchestrating that of course would be very hard, but in a bond, kind of way it makes more sense than most <laughs> than yeah most no it stuff is, that has happened. it does make sense like you can follow it right like you're not like i mean you have questions obviously because some things just have to fall into their lap but mm-hmm. but at least like it i don't know it's told well like the it's laid out very you know you know exactly yeah. what's going on mm-hmm. um just a couple other things before we get into our opinions and stuff uh raymond benson uh i had mentioned this a little earlier he was the author that got uh, hired to write a novelization he writes two more i don't know which ones they were for yet but uh, he wrote tomorrow never dies and uh the novel has extra scenes with way lynn it also has a few supporting characters that aren't even in the movie they also make a reference to you only live twice because there's a i guess a scene in there where bond talks about learning asian languages and so they basically bring that up to show that he lied to Money Penny, which I thought that's mm. a, that's funny how they were trying to like make sure that made sense. Like I'm sure everyone was thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was also a third person shooter game made for this for the PlayStation. It did not do well. Uh, nobody mm-hmm. nobody seemed to like it. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of just what happened behind the scenes. We will go on to our next segment, which we like to call a review to a kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. We are going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we're discussing this week. This week, we are discussing 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies. I'll give a quick summary because I love IMDb. It's hilarious, but it's uh, James Bond sets out to stop a media mogul's plan to induce war between China and the UK in order to obtain exclusive global media coverage, which is... That is, uh, I mean, that's scarily accurate accurate considering the, uh, you know, the limitations of one paragraph. Uh, (laughs) If you wanted to condense this movie down... That's pretty good. ...into one, it's pretty good. I mean, it's funny that you brought up the IMDb and how hilarious it is, because there are a lot of synopsis Mm -hmm. you'll see, especially for TV shows, where it'll be like... uh, John has a has a revelation or whatever, and it's like that's it, you know. Uh, and you're like, oh, that doesn't tell me anything about the show. And it, so anyway, yeah, um, yeah, go for it. No, Is that it? That's it. That's it. It's a, it's a you know, uh, that he has a stealth boat, and just like so many other Bond villains in the past, he's made uh, this is such a Blofeldian maneuver mm-hmm. to make it seem like uh one country is fighting another country or is is attacking another country and the other country has 
their limited intel says, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's totally happening. There can't be a third boat out there. That's called- <laughs> this is the thing that kills me about Bond in the world of Bond, though. This has happened so many times now in the world of James Bond. Yes. There's always been a third thing out there causing uh, conflict between two countries. That should be almost be the first thing someone comes up with. Yeah. Like, I bet there's a stealth boat. I bet there's a boat out there that nobody knew about that was causing trouble this whole time. <laughs> the other thing too is the how they how they get onto, uh, how they get onto the 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 right path on this movie is is kind of funny to me because carver comes out with that uh that article i guess i could see this it seems like this is the first time i don't know he's trying to launch this big news network it's supposed to be a fox news type of thing Mm -hmm. and one of the stories that's getting him on here is this being there first when uh china and uk uh, have a conflict in the south china sea and he has all these details about the about uh what happened before even the authorities know about it mm-hmm. and that's how that's how M and Bond already know that tomorrow's mm-hmm. behind this like such a terrible mistake to mm-hmm. make in, in 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 this i understand that like he's trying to launch this when you're a megalomaniac and you're a psychopath and all this type of stuff i get it i guess like you're not going to be you're not going to be thinking about all the details about how it could come back to you. But that was a funny thing to me that like that, that transmission came from one of Carver's satellites. <laughs> like, God, he's like just saying it's me. I mean, we're supposed to think he's pretty brilliant though. Cause I mean, how did he get to where he's at without being, but then he did. Yeah. I don't know. So mm-hmm. what, uh, I mean, you've already kind of talked about it, but just in general, what are your overall feelings on the movie? Um, I love the opening on this one it's, because Bond is not seen mm-hmm. uh, throughout. It's it's uh, it's the team looking yeah. at it through a camera the whole time. I really enjoyed that, and I really enjoyed the fact that they set up a situation where you have this uh, you know this loose cannon of a general who's like, I'm gonna just let's go ahead and fire at these guys. Let's kill all these terrorists while we're at it. And then, of course, after they fire the missile, they find out that there's a, there's nuclear uh, weapons there that could make Chernobyl look like, I can't remember what it was, but apparently Chernobyl's nothing compared to what kind yeah, of disaster. Was, uh, yeah, I can't remember what he compared it to. Uh, but yeah. This would have been if the bomb uh, connects. So Bond, knowing this, uh, runs into the action trying to find, trying to get onto this plane. And then like he, you know, he, he's just blowing away people in the, like first with, with a gun and then getting into the plane and blowing away people and throwing missiles everywhere. And he has to fly out of there. He plays a game of chicken with another plane. It's a really good opening. It really is. It's really good. I love that guy's Um, in the back of the jet too. And like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course he's got a a garrot back there yeah. somehow. I don't know where <laughs> where he got that, but um, but that's uh, that whole that whole like airplane sequence is great because B- uh, Bond has to evade another plane. He's got the guy choking him in the back, and he he has to evade all these missiles and like all this stuff, and then eventually that great moment where he lines his plane up below the other plane and ejects dude into the other plane. Of course the plane blows up. I don't know what's causing that plane to blow up, but you know, sometimes people are flammable. You never know. So the opening scene is great. Um, 
and then I do like Jonathan Price's mm-hmm. villain in this. It's 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 different, and I think it's a it's a forward thinking mm-hmm. type of thing because thinking of someone having all this power in in the media and and being able to shape people's opinions uh, is a is a is something that is really affecting us today. Um, you know, uh, and, and especially if somebody is just making the news on their own, they're just, they're just creating yeah. their own news. And, um, uh, of course his ultimate goal, I think is kind of weak. Like I understand, I mean, it's like all this stuff, like that's kind of cool. And then he's like, oh, well, what I really want is just to be able to broadcast in China. <laughs> you know, that's, that's that's it you know so i mean of course he'll still be doing his stupid stuff to to make news but uh if he succeeds but the the the, the action scenes in this are fine mm-hmm. i guess i i like michelle yo mm-hmm. a lot everything else about it especially towards the end when they're on the the boat and they're like it's a bunch of gunfire i yeah. i get i get i just tune out um on those type of things but when it's michelle yo i really really uh dig the action in this uh but uh overall i i think that i mean this is a this is an above an average slightly above average bond outing for me i remember not liking this very much but i honestly didn't remember much about it so mm-hmm. i liked it overall and i was kind of surprised about that because i was expecting not to i will say the lot la- it doesn't leave you on a really strong note like you were kind of talking about when it gets to the end they're just kind of firing guns it's mindless I like Jonathan Price. He's a great actor. I like that character, but I he gets like he gets to drop on Bond at one point. And I'm like, I don't think that would have happened. Like he's not mm. like the idea of him mm-hmm. and Bond like fighting doesn't make any sense. But they still try to do it at the end. Um, he but he gets one yeah. of the most brutal yeah. deaths I've ever seen of a villain. Uh, whatever that machine is. Oh yeah. But yeah, so that part was the so I didn't really care too much about the last like twenty. I mean, I didn't like it as much, but I but it no, it's definitely above average. I think it's in that kind of octopusy, uh, Moonraker kind of mm-hmm. in that um, tier, I guess. Doctor No, even uh, kind of mm-hmm. on that tier somewhere. I think Price is really good. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is awesome. I do like the bike sequence. I think that's a lot of fun. Um, we talked about the Vincent Chiavelli scene a little bit, but like. That scene is hilarious, but like, I don't, it's so goofy. Like, it's just, but it's like, there's that part where the, so if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, these, uh, these, the henchmen or whatever are trying to get into Bond's car and they can't because it's got all these, it's got all these shenanigans <laughs> that Q created. And, uh, I think Chevelli's about to kill him. And then he gets a he gets a like a call from the people down there, and uh, they're like, "Yeah, you got to get the information out of him how to get in this car." And then he's like, "But I love Chevelli in that scene because he's like, I'm sorry, this is really embarrassing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it's really funny, and and the uh, the the whole lead up to it too is is that uh, you know Brosnan is like he's like. Um, you, you you can't shoot me from there yeah. that's not going to look like suicide and then he goes well i could shoot you from stuttgart and make it look like suicide i'm like what 
Well, then do it then. <laughs> Why are you in this room? I mean, I think that scene right. with the cell phone, it could kind of go either way. I mean, the fact that Chevelli doesn't think it might, but he does think it might be a trap. That's why he won't let Bond do it. But I don't know why he wasn't thinking, well, if I do it, I don't, but I don't know what you do in that situation. Mm. So that was fine. I don't either. That was fine. Um, it, but, but it's also kind of, it, it's kind of like it almost makes the ending of that when Bond shoots him, you kind of feel bad because like, because even though you know he's a killer, he's been, it's just like such a charming scene. So when it ends, mm-hmm. like a point gun, you know, like point blank gunshot to his head or whatever, it's a little, it's a little brutal. But I love that the movie does stuff like that. That's fun. Like, and I, and they do feel like asides. And I guess maybe that kind of fits with Roger Spotswood, the way he directs and the fact that they didn't even have a complete script uh, when they started. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty, I mean, it, it's, it's a basic a one-liner thing but i do love the fact that he's like i'm just a professional doing a job and then you know bond is like uh so am i (laughs) (laughs) but that part god that part kills me though and he's like he's so unprofessional i'm so sorry (laughs) yeah oh yeah um and then there's stuff like that but i but i do i i think also knowing about the background of it that i didn't know when i first saw it I'm, it's kind of impressive that it's as good as it is. So maybe that even gives it a little bit of a leg up in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh and Brosnan do have chemistry, but like, I wish they had just completely avoided the, cause they do kiss at the end, right? Or they, or they're at least intimate. They do. Then they imply and implied that they're going to have sex yeah. on the boat there at the end because they, they don't let the, the rescue boat, uh, cat, cat, you know, like they don't, they don't flag down the rescue boat. They're just like, let's, yeah, let's just right. stay undercover. Yeah. And like, I, I don't yeah. care. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care. But it just, in the way they did it, it felt added on. Like, I yeah, almost feel like they would have, like, I don't know, maybe they didn't have the time to hook up before that because this is only a couple of days. Yeah, they they don't really because they're the, the point where they would normally yeah. hook up, which is where the shower scene mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, she handcuffs him to the pipe and says, I work alone, and then... And then go we go off and do that bicycle yeah. store scene right after that. Yep. I, and I like the idea of them together. Like I, I would have been cool with her coming back for another movie. I mean, that would have been awesome. And and the stuff they do is really smart mm-hmm. too, because there's like that whole like I love the whole like ending part because everybody know well they know there's a stealth boat mm-hmm. instead of like I don't I don't know like they they both work together to tell their governments this is what you're looking mm-hmm. for. Of course, you know, nobody out there in in the in the in these boats, the Chinese or the UK boats know where this boat is going to be and they're looking for everything that they can to find it. But I love how they work together at the end. And I also love the fact that uh, you know, since they can't find it, Bond th- uh sets off that grenade yeah. so that they can see they can see where it is, and it's just a. It, I think that's just well plotted out. Well, yeah, done. that stuff's cool. And I guess it's just the action that's not as interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like when the, when it's when they're doing all the discussion and the political intrigue and all that, it's really good. But the action, yes, uh, is is for the most part the weakest yeah. part of this movie. And I don't know exactly what Nicholas Meyer contributed, but like that whole thing with that there's a stealth boat and stuff that felt very Star Trek, like like a like a mm-hmm. like a like a cloaked ship yeah and, and maybe yeah, that's exactly. just me thinking too much about it because it's not like there haven't been like movies with submarines and stuff or stuff like that i mean it's it's, it's all yeah, like a hunt chess match you know kind of thing yeah the hunt for an october yeah. was a famous one that did that and uh apparently it was it was that was something that had been toyed around with in the 80s by yeah. actual like uh you know 
companies who made submarines yeah. and things like that. So yeah. Well, it's it's that they're not really invisible either, right? They're just it's like it's cloaked on the radar. Can't be seen by yeah, ra- yeah, yeah. It can't be seen by radar. Yeah, it's not yeah. like they like disappear. But uh, although that'd be hilarious. Well, and that's what the one of the considerations they have to do at the very beginning with the Devonshire is that they're about to throw that drill at the thing, and they're like, "Well, we're invisible, but this drill won't be yeah. once we fire it towards the things." So they have all those little considerations too. I think those are nice they touches. Are, I like, I like that they send a message to the ship, like basically saying, "You're looking for an invisible ship." <laughs> yeah, and the guy <laughs> yeah, just like exactly. reads it. He's like. He's just like, okay. He's like, hey, can you see anything as small as a porthole or whatever, you know? Yeah, or periscope. Periscope, that's or what something. it was, yeah. And, yeah, and they're, and, and uh, it's like, okay, I guess we're going to have to do it the old, old fashioned I way. I love details like that. And I think that, I think mm-hmm. that does elevate this movie a little bit over some of, some of the ones that might be close to it. Like, cause I, this, I don't know. There's something about Carver, though, that just, I mean, he's fun, but I don't know. There's something about the, I, like I said, this movie totally, goes off a couple of times and I don't know what it is, but, but I like, I like, I feel like I like Jonathan Price more than I like the character. I think he's having fun. And so I, I think it's fun to watch him. Oh yeah. It's even yeah, fun. Like sure. I love when he's like typing away on his little iPad thing or whatever that's supposed to be. <laughs> it's just. And, 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 you know, I, it could, they could have developed that. I mean, we're talking about a, a production that's being very rushed here, but like exactly. So that's probably what a lot of it is. But like they, they could have done a lot more with the power that he wields as a huge mm. media guy. Like he could have like yeah, he could have tried to ruin James Bond in the newspapers if he wanted to, or tried to do something yeah. to that effect. Like if he's gonna if he's gonna use this as a weapon, like we keep hearing him. Like there's a there's even a scene early on when we first introduced to him where he's talking about like don't mess with somebody who buys ink mm. by the barrel or something. And it's like <laughs> it would be nice if he did that a little bit more in this, where his, his yeah. like you know if you if you were able to cast some people in some bad lights and everything, then he it would have handcuffed him a little bit. But yeah, you know they didn't have a chance to develop that very well. I don't think. No, no, they didn't. Speaking of going to the back to the James Bond thing, and I know we've talked about this. Uh, people are probably tired of hearing us talk about everybody knowing his fucking name. Right. But like he never like I just. I don't understand why he doesn't have a fucking cover. Like I don't I don't get why he's just like I'm James Bond the banker. Right. And not only that, not only that, I I actually thought about this uh when he did this in this movie. It's like it's like he apparently just just throwing away all the pretenses now and just saying I'm here to to stop you basically because Yeah. He even has that sly allusion to oh, a drift yeah. at sea mm-hmm. to Carver and that tips Carver off that you know that oh he knows about the boat and everything and it's mm-hmm. like isn't it better for you not to know that? <laughs> It's crazy not to hint at that and then the, i don't even know why carver bothers that bothers with this but this is a pretty funny scene because he gets ricky jay later uh mm. to in to to look into his background and he's like well he's a, he's been a banker for the last 10 years he's crossed every t and he's dotted every i and he's like well, what does that mean oh he's a british spy <laughs> government agent yeah he's a government agent and he's like oh how do you know that it's like well if everything is too if anything's too good to be true it probably is and he's like it's the gupta 10 like I, he yeah. has some name for it uh that whatever but that's one of the my favorite scenes in the movie is it's good yeah yeah 
but it's just and and I don't even honestly I don't even know why he's on this mission because I would think the fact that uh not only had he been with Paris, she knows he's a fucking spy. Mm-hmm. And they can't possibly know that like she wouldn't tell her husband. Right. So I I, I there and there's conflicts of interest too, yeah, right? It, I, I just, uh, yeah. It, there's a there's a whole bunch of problems here. Yeah, <laughs> we would send the fuck out of that stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. But but you could say that for a lot of these movies. I mean, he makes a lot of things personal and stuff like that. And and I guess that also didn't even feel that way. Because I, I almost wish, since they decided not to have the Paris storyline be as involved as it was originally, I almost wish they just completely cut the fact that he knew her. Because like, I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that adds anything. It doesn't. He's, I guess he's upset she died. But I also feel like that scene is supposed to be setting him up, but it that never really nothing comes of that either. Like you know, James Bond is suspected of murder. Like you yeah, know, which um, that would have been. A, and again, we're talking about the power that that uh, he holds and the the power that exactly uh, um, the power that Carver holds in this in this movie. He could have easily made it look like sh- like he did it, and they didn't develop that. Instead, they were like, "Oh, well, we're gonna yeah. have him killed too." And you know it's it, 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 it. I think there was a lot of things they could have done with this media thing that they didn't do. So, <laughs> oh no, and they weren't they weren't actually. I'm sorry, they weren't. Well, they maybe they were setting them up, but he was supposed to die too. I forgot yeah, about that. He was that's, supposed the, to die. that's the scene with Vincent Schiavelli. So they were supposed to be found together. Yeah, but and I love. I do find that I do like when he walks in. That newscast is on, which has been pre-recorded or whatever, because it would be for the next day. Mm-hmm. But I'm like wondering, what did that newscaster think about mm-hmm. that? <laughs> like, was she just like? You know, which how would she not know that that hadn't actually happened yet? I don't know. It was just kind of a weird thing, but it's very cool, and I get why they did it because mm-hmm. it's you know yeah. Uh, well, they also could have just not had that broadcast going on in the exactly. middle of the room too. Like I don't I, yeah. Th- there's, I get again. Why are you tipping somebody off that you're going to do this to him or whatever? It's like there's a just a constant like. I got. I gotta let you know that I'm doing this so that it's more satisfying somehow. I don't know. <laughs> then he walks in right as the broadcast starts, which yeah. is also always that's always what happens in movies. Mm-hmm. That's it's fine, but it's just funny as hell. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I like it. I this is this was a kind of a surprise that I liked it as much as I did, and I and I will. I do think some of that has to do with the fact that knowing the background of it, it kind of makes you, I guess, forgive some of it. Uh, but I liked it a lot more this time than I remember liking it yeah, when same. I saw it in the theater. And I could have had like maybe I had a bad theater experience. I don't remember, but like maybe I just because I just didn't remember anything mm-hmm. uh, other than I knew he was supposed to be like a Rupert Murdoch kind of kind of guy. And and I do I do like that what you're talking about. That is a different type of villain. Like they really haven't had. Um, I, I he kept reminding me of Zorin, but mm-hmm. like that, but they were doing two different things. But I'm just saying that's the only thing I could think of, and I actually thought Jonathan Price was quite a bit better. Uh, but that might have to do with the writing too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but yeah, no, I liked it. Did you have anything else to say before we go to the rankings? No. Okay, so for the rankings, we are now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart, as long as they are shaken and not stirred, and that would be martinis. So for each category, we will rank from one to five. Five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips. One being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. The first thing, which we've kind of already talked about a little bit of this, so you might know what we're going to say, but uh, just the story, like just the overall story, what what would you give that? 
Um, because it's so, I mean, even though this is a media magnate, that's the, you know, and not somebody who is looking for world domination the same way mm-hmm. as all the other villains, he seems different, but he's, he's got the same tactics as we've seen Blofeld do. And a lot of others, Hugo Drax, all these, all these guys have done in there. So, um, I like the fact that he's different, uh, in one way but he's the exact same in so many other ways too so uh anyway the uh the story i think the story is fine but could be better Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. i'm going to be kind of like like even keeled on all these ratings here Mm -hmm. i'm going to go three out of five on the story i'm three two i think this is like this there's never been like a more three-star movie Mm -hmm. than tomorrow yeah probably uh and then the bond the i mean i i'll i guess i'll start i i mean we talked about last week how or we talked about when we talked about goldeneye how brosnan just kind of comes right out of the gate he's mm-hmm. like ready to go and so this just feels like more of that i mean he's he's really good in this and mm-hmm. i it's interesting i'm really i'm really ex- i i i've seen die another day in enough i've had enough of recent screening of die another day to know what i think of that one but the world is not enough. I haven't seen it forever either. So I'm really excited to see if that, you know, if that's changed for me too. Uh, but I, cause I think I would have said going into this, Brosnan was maybe, I mean, I'm not counting. Um, I'm not counting lazy me when I talk about my favorite or least favorite bond. I had a feeling coming into this, I would probably say Brosnan was my least favorite. Doesn't mean I don't like him, but just out of the four. But, uh, but I've, I don't know, maybe that'll change. Cause I think he's really good. At least in these first two, he's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so I, I'm like three and a half, four somewhere in there as far as the performance yeah. goes. Yeah. I'll go with a four on this. Um, the villain henchman. So we've got Carver, we've got, uh, Gupta. And then I can't even remember blonde, but we have blonde guy. I don't remember his name, right? <laughs> <laughs> Stamper. Stamper. Mr. Yeah. Stamper. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, all across the board here, you, I mean, I like Ricky Jay a lot. I wish yeah. they used him more. Yeah. I like Jonathan Price a lot. I wish they had done a few things different with this character. And of course, yes, Stamper is just your typical, I liked him a lot though. I mean, he's, he's the typical henchman no, guy fine. who goes in. Yeah. So yeah, again, this will be a three out of five for me. No, he's perfectly fine. It, it's just, and I, maybe it's good actually. He just doesn't really have like, he doesn't have like a gimmick or anything. Like he's just, and that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just different. It just felt, but uh, yeah, no, would you say three? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh Ricky Jay, speaking of the not only am I like I mean, it sucks he died when he did, but like also like he would have been so amazing like in seventies cinema, I think. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know exactly how old he would have been then, but I'm guessing he would have been like in his twenties or something. But uh um, Probably, yeah. I'm guessing he was born like in the fifties. But um I'm just like I I don't know. He would just he would have been awesome, like in like taking a Pelham one, two, three, like have him be one of the criminals or something, you know. I mean he would have been amazing. Yeah, he's born in '46. Oh hell yeah! Um, so he could have been in '70 cinema. Yeah, he ah. he he died at '72. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that's. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he's we still got a lot of fun performances out of him, but I don't know. He's just he's awesome. Um, yeah, he's almost like a kind of like almost like a Peter Lorre or something. Like he's just I don't know. There's just something about him. I always get excited when I see him. Um, his first uh, his first ever anything was a Midsummer Night's Dream in 1982. Huh. 
Um, and then uh, he did a Simon and Simon episode, and then House of Games, which yeah. you know that's where you start with your David Mamet. Is that ninety one uh, or ninety? Eighty seven. Eighty seven. Oh, okay. So, yeah. but he was House also of Games in, is pretty good. Yeah, it's I. Oh yeah, I, I love it. I for so, I remember I watched that because that was Roger Ebert's I think number one film that year, and so I watched it. I didn't really get it then because I was only like eleven or twelve, but. I've watched mm, it as an yeah. adult, and I've really enjoyed it. Um, but he was mm-hmm. also in that. He was in his next views, and things change. He was in Homicide. Yep. Uh, but it's been a while since I've watched those, so I don't know how mm-hmm. much he had to do with them. Uh, but I believe he's one of Joe, uh, the guy that's in House of Games. It's uh, God, what is his name? Joe Magnolia. Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Uh, he's like one of his like uh, con helpers or whatever he's like yeah, in the, yeah, he's yeah, in the yeah. crew they're, yeah there's yeah they're, he's definitely yeah one of one of the people who's like in on the tricks and everything and all that so i think the one thing that hampers that down a little bit is is the is it Lindsay? it's not Lindsay wagner Lindsay krauss Lindsay krauss yeah i just i don't know i, I mm-hmm. you know her, i mean she seems like a lovely person i know her and david mamet i think were married at the time so yeah they were and then rebecca pigeon ended up being in- <laughs> mm-hmm. i yep. love her though yeah she's great uh, anyways, uh, the gadgets, gizmos, there's quite a bit of stuff in here. Um, yeah. I forgot to write down all the specifics, but there's the, the remote control car, I think is the, is probably the, the big thing. I think it's bullshit yep. that he would know how to do that immediately. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> he's like, he's driving around in like a thing with a helicopter and yeah. everything. He's like, not, I mean, and yeah, just, just like knows it immediately and everything. I don't know if you're, I guess if you're paying attention to, uh, earlier Bond films where, like, you remember in, uh, I think it was The Spy Who Loved Me, that uh, the her his female counterpart, which I can't think of the name right now. Oh, um, um, well, her... Shit. I can't think of the name in the movie or the, or the actress. She's married uh, to Ringo Starr. <laughs> let me look it up. Ringo Starr's wife. <laughs> Barbara Bach. Barbara Bach, yes. The uh, the Anya Amasova or whatever mm-hmm. the uh, the character a the character they've wanted to bring back apparently like several times mm-hmm. but never have but uh, she said something to the effect of because it was some gadget in that movie where she's like I saw the prototype for this uh, six months before it was put into production mm-hmm. or something like that the blueprints for the six months so maybe he's seeing the prototypes and the blueprints True. of these new gadgets before yeah. they're actually made and whatever but still yeah to, to be just to be able to pick at get this remote and just be like all right I'm a master at this is kind of amazing but well, and then um, Michelle Yeoh's got like her own like setup, and it's like it's like it's the same thing as like you know he has, <laughs> yeah, and he's a like, bunch of joke gadgets basically, yeah. <laughs> like and 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 Bond is just like willy nilly going through it, not even ca- with a care in the world that like some of that stuff yeah. could probably kill I, kill her and him. But I don't know that I find any of them that memorable. But there's enough. I mean, it's probably it's a three star for me. Three the, the three phone, yeah, the phone martinis. has a has a little shocker thing yep. on it, and the car itself has yeah uh, little spiky things that come out and little uh and 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 weaponry and whatever but uh yeah i mean it's a three for me as well there's nothing like super big here all right i always try to get i cannot get your feel for the bond song i i'm guessing you don't care that much for it or no i don't like it at all uh i i don't know that i like it a lot but it was it was just better than I remember. I mean, it was it, I didn't remember it, so maybe that's not the way to put it. But I don't know. It's yeah, like it's like it's a. I don't the melody and everything is fine, but I just mm-hmm. 
and I love Cheryl Crow. I, her first like three albums are amazing. Uh, love Cheryl Crow too. I don't think fit. this is a song for her though. This no. is not a song for her. Uh, and and what do I know? Got nominated for a Grammy, right? Although the Grammy has its own like you know uh, dubious nature, but um, but uh, I when I'm I I haven't heard this song in forever, and it's not very memorable. Mm-hmm. I I just remember I remember the the like the the title part of it because it was in the trailer and everything mm-hmm. so i so if it's if in the trailer i'll remember it pretty easily but um but i was listening to this and going man it's just not does not suit her there's none of the suits her so for me and and she seems like she's struggling through this song so for me it's to two out of five it's better than some of the worst ones yeah uh that we've that we've run into uh, so I would give it a two out of five. I'm gonna give it a two. I would call it a high two, maybe closer to like a two and a half. But because uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like hate it. But it's just, yeah, I just don't think she fits with it. I, which is, I mean, I, I think Cheryl Crow could sing a Bond song. I just, I just don't know that this one was the one. Uh, nah, I don't think so. But uh, yeah, definitely not one of the worst. Not 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 close to being the worst or anything. Um, no. So yeah, so I think that's it. I think we 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 talked about a Bond movie. That was fun. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, thank you for joining us this week. We hope you will join us again next week. We will be talking about The World Is Not Enough. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at goldspy007. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at samloomis13. You can email us at golddiamonddeath007 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSins brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. So uh, until then, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.